you would, open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 8. Revelation chapter 8. We're quite a bit through this book by this time, and, and uh, if you don't have a Bible, by the way, you need a Bible, we have extra Bibles in the back foyer that you're welcome to have. You can keep it, write your name with it, take it home, um, and we just want to make sure everybody has the Word in their hands. But we've been going through the book, we're a lot of the ways through, and and no matter where we are so far in the book or any place that we'll go, the entire book of Revelation is about Jesus. It started at the very beginning saying, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so again today, as we head into chapter 8 and throughout what's going to happen uh, in this chapter, we will need to remember that at the center, at the focus of this all is Jesus. And so today as we go in, let's look at Jesus and what it says about him. I uh, just want to describe where we've been so far. Uh, it is said that there was a seal that was... Uh, sealed with seven seals. And nobody in all of heaven, as John is looking at this vision, has been found worthy to open the seals. And he, so he begins crying. And an elder taps him on the shoulder and says, hey, there's one who's worthy. It's the Lion of Judah. And so when John turns around to look at the lion, what he sees is this lamb who's been slain. And it says that the lamb is worthy to open the seals of this scroll because he was slain by his blood. He has redeemed people to himself, made them priests, and now he sits on the throne. And so that is the lamb, and he has been opening now. Jesus has been opening those seals, and up to this point, he has opened six seals, all of them coming with it, uh, different amounts of tribulation and circumstances, all working together to have people put their eyes on Jesus. And so now we're in the in-between time between the sixth and seventh seal. And we come to chapter eight. We're just going to get the beginning of this chapter this week. But we see in chapter eight, verse one, it says this. When the lamb opened the seventh seal, there was a silence. There was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And so right there we see the lamb, because he's worthy, opens up the last seal on the scroll. It says as he opens that seal, there is silence in heaven for about half an hour. I, mean, I don't know about you, but if you've had a long week, you kind of hope that seal's been broken right now. You could do about a half hour of silence, could you? Just a quiet. Now, I don't know what the quiet here was for, except we know that it's on the verge of what the Lord is about to do to end all things, that at the coming, we'll see in a moment, that he's about to bring his rescue and his wrath. And so we see this consistently in the Bible, that as the day of the Lord is described out, whether it's in the Old Testament, in the book of Habakkuk or in Zephaniah and Zechariah, uh, that just before the day of the Lord, that there's uh, a call that goes out to people of silence. Be quiet. Something's about to go down. Remember those times when your dad would catch you and your brothers and sisters being naughty? Right? You were, yo, that never happened, Brian Rader. I have a man who sits right behind you who's pretty sure that did happen. When you were doing something wrong and you were in the midst of it, and there was suddenly that moment when dad saw you, the moment between you being naughty and dad suddenly coming with his fury and his anger, what was there? Before you could run and get away, what was it? There was a silence. There's kind of a pause in that moment. And I believe that it's something like that that's happening in this moment. We see this continually throughout, throughout movies. Uh, Naomi and I, 
We had a date yesterday. We went and watched a, a fun little cute Disney movie about all these animals live in this town. And, and here the movie went with this plot that's thickening and that's climaxing. And it gets right towards the very end. And, and then right before the end comes, there's this quiet moment between the characters. It happens almost in every story, just right before the end comes. One of my favorite movies, and which is totally applicable right now, especially for you University of North Carolina fans with the basketball tournament ending up tomorrow. One of my favorite movies is the movie Hoosiers. And in the movie Hoosiers, it's about a, a small school that has a basketball team that, that works together all year, and there's infighting, and there's, there's good times, and there's bad times, and you follow the story, it's building, and it's building, and it's building. And here's this very small school that ends up going through the state tournament all the way to the championship game. And so as they go out, they look at the arena before anybody else is in there, and it's huge. What's about to go down is just this momentous competition. This incredible fight is about to go down in the midst of the arena. And so just before the battle is waged, the movie goes into the locker room, into the inner sanctum of the team where the coach is sitting with his players and they actually have a preacher come in and he begins to talk about the story of David and Goliath. And the, the team pauses for prayer. And there's a silence in the midst of the team before they go on to wage war. And so we see this happen in movies, and we've seen it happen in the Scripture being described. And I believe that's what's happening. Is about, about the time that the Lord's going to go out, and He's going to rescue, and He's going to bring His wrath, that there's a, a silence in heaven, a pause when something very holy is about to take place. And the Lord's about to come and finish things. It says in verse 2, Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And so at this point we've seen seven seals, and now there are going to be seven trumpets. We'll get into what those are next week, and the week following probably. And then later on, there's also seven bowls of wrath that are coming. So we see within Revelation there's seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls of wrath. And there's sequences to those things. And they're all dealing with tribulations and circumstances that are coming about as the end of things. It's the labor pains that Jesus talked about ramping up before the final day of his coming and return. And so now at this point, the seven trumpets are given. We'll get into what those are more next week. But we just want to understand that, that those are given out. They're about to be blown. And it's given to these angels. But it says in verse 3, and another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. And so another angel comes out. And he goes over to the altar, and there's this opportunity for him to take from that altar incense and prayers. We've already seen in the book of Revelation that there's something great about your prayers. Today, when we came together during prayer time and somebody over here mentioned something and somebody over here mentioned something and, and I mentioned something, we, we scooped together all those prayers. That to God, when people come and they, they put their trust in Him, it is a sweet smell to God because what His hope is, is that you who need help would be dependent upon Him. When I see my children struggle with something, there's something sweet in it. When they come to dad and say, dad, I can't squeeze any more toothpaste out of the tube. Would you help me? 
There's something sweet to a father who looks at a, a, a young child who's saying, help. And to the Lord, that's what it's like. When your prayers come through, and it can't just be throwing words at God, but the words that come, it says here, are mixed. They're coming from an altar where there's fire. Your prayers are being washed. They're being cleansed. They're being made holy. Not because you are perfect, but because Jesus Christ was perfect. And he died in your place and washed you. And he said, he now sits at the right hand of the Father. And all the prayers that we give as a sweet Offering as an incense before him are taken by Jesus. And because of who he is, the Father will receive our prayers. And so his holiness makes our prayers acceptable to be heard by God the Father and acted upon so that he can help you. And so that's what we see at this moment, that from that altar, there's there's a sweetness about holiness coming and doing something awesome for the people of God, that he would be answering their prayers and helping them during a time of trouble. But it says here also in verse 5, it goes on and says, the, uh, Then the angel, the same angel, took the censer, the same censer, and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now, I'm just going to tell you that that description that's given right there at the end where it says thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake throughout the scriptures is a description of the wrath of God coming. That at that moment, he is coming with his fury to destroy his enemies. Now, that's an interesting thing. That that angel would have come and taken fire from the altar and incense and prayers from there and taken that and that would be holy and acceptable to God but also go take that very same fire and the very same censer and throw it down towards the earth to bring the wrath of God. How could God be the one who is both good to answer the prayers of people and also a wrath giver? Isn't that sometimes something that's hard to figure out? But see, that's the holiness of God. His holiness is good, it's perfect, it's pure. If my children were suddenly being harmed by a predator, my instincts as a father would swell up because of my love and protection for them. All that is in me as a dad and all my love and and hopefully goodness towards them in that moment would come not only to rescue them, but to bring my wrath upon the one who is endangering my kids, right? Within one person, you can have that because of goodness, the opportunity for salvation and for wrath. And so in this description of Revelation, we have the holiness of God in one scene purifying you and your prayers, and in also the other scene bringing his justice upon his enemies on the earth. You can see this in nature. I think God has given us pictures throughout nature. We're we're told that nature is a reflection of God. How many of you enjoyed that fresh drink of water you took this morning? I know I did. Before, every time I come to preach, I have a bottle of water that somebody has graciously purchased and put in that fridge out there, and I grab that and I drink it before I come, because I love that drink of water to help quench my thirst. Water's good. But how is it at the same time I'm trying so dang hard 
keep water out of my house. <laughs> right? I've got a roof that's got a guarantee on it. I've got gutters that sit there. I go and clean them out because that water goes out and it'll, it'll destroy. See, water can contain both those things at the same time. Water can be both good and quench thirst and bring health, and it can bring destruction. It's the same thing. God is the exact same way. He, in his holiness and his goodness, at one time can bring life and health, while at the same time, in that same goodness and justice and holiness, bring wrath upon his enemies. And it's all just, and it's all good. So how can he be good if he's bringing wrath? The scriptures say that because God knows how sinful we are and that we deserve death and we deserve his punishment and that every day of every moment of our life, our flesh is like, we don't want you. That is our sin. We rebel against God from the womb. We're kicking and screaming and saying, no, I want it my way. I want to be the king. I want to be God. God sees that, and he recognized that, that we were like kids who can't get toothpaste out of tube. We can't help ourselves be saved. And so in his love, in his holiness, in his justice, he came up with a plan to properly take care of our sin and our problem. And so he worked out everything, as we've been told in the scriptures, to bring about the one way that he could help us, and that was he brought himself, he brought Jesus. God became flesh. He became a man. He walked the earth, healed the blind, healed the lame, cast out demons, fed the crowds, taught in parables. But most of all, he took on a cross whereupon he bled out and died for things he did not deserve. But in that moment that he died on that cross, he was fulfilling the plan of his holiness and justice. Because while Jesus was innocent, you and I are not. And all the sin that you and I have stored up, when we come and say, my God, my God, please forgive me. All of your sin is transferred upon Jesus when he died on that cross. He was a substitute in your place. You remember what happens when Jesus dies on the cross? The description... It's just like that of Revelation. It's, there was thunder. There was rumblings. There was earthquake. There was lightning. There was, there was all that we just saw in Revelation. At the cross of Jesus, you have those same things take place. Why? Because whenever those things happen, you know the holy wrath of God is coming. And Jesus, while he was on that cross, the holy wrath of God came and crushed the Son of God so that you wouldn't be crushed. People will say, well, how can a good God allow bad things? How could he bring wrath? How can he be fair? And yet I look at Jesus and I'm I'm thinking, fair? Who are we to ask what is fair? Who's not fair for Jesus to take my sin? But boy, it was good. Because he took your sin, you get life. Because he took your sin... You're forgiven and stand righteous before a righteous and holy God. Because you've been forgiven, you will stand there at that day as one whose prayers are heard rather than the one who is receiving wrath. He will come and rescue you. So I'm not going to question fairness. I'm going to trust his justice. And I'm going to say thank you. 
thank you, Jesus, for saving me from my sins. Because otherwise, that bit of silence is right before Jesus comes and destroys me. If I'm not forgiven, he comes and he gets me as his enemy. And I don't want that. You know what I want? I want Jesus. I want life. I want to be able to see the fulfillment of what the choir sang when they said, just beyond that hill is a mansion where I will live. And I will walk the street of gold. Why do I want that? So I can just live in a country club? No. Because if you live there, if you live in that mansion, if you live on that street, you have quick and direct access to be right before the king and in his presence. You walk down today to Pennsylvania Avenue in Washington, D.C., you will not get a moment of time with the president today. But if you've been saved by Jesus and his grace and you live in that mansion and you walk on his street, you have every moment with him. So here we have a description that in my mind, it blows my mind. I don't understand everything in Revelation, but I know this. I don't want to be on the receiving end of his wrath. And because of that, he put Jesus on the receiving end. So instead, you and I would be on the receiving end of his grace, on the receiving end of his goodness. And today, if you know in your heart, in your lifetime, you have not said, Lord, please forgive me. I want to be on the receiving end of your goodness. I want to be the receiving end of your grace. Then make that prayer today. and <laughs> Say, Lord, please forgive me. Your own worst enemy is not ISIS. Your worst enemy today aren't the Democrats or the Republicans, wherever you sit. It's not the Russians and the North Koreans. It's not aliens and conspiracy theorists. Your worst enemy is yourself. And until you recognize that, you will never be at a place of submission and repentance before God. You will always blame it on everybody else. Eve, she blamed it on the serpent. Adam blamed it on his wife. Are you blaming your trouble on somebody else? The best thing you could do today is go to God and say, I'm my own trouble. I'm sin, and I've been sinful. I am sorry. And in that moment, he washes you clean. And in that moment, you stand before him holy. And in that moment, he has spared you from the wrath that will come just after the silence. My favorite movie, Hoosiers, the little team in that silent locker room, goes on out there, and it's an epic battle. But they score the final shot. Win the game. It's a great story. It's Hollywood. I don't want to live Hollywood. I want the reality of Jesus Christ in me. That is our reality. He wins, and it's not just by one shot. He completely destroys his enemies. Go to Jesus today. Don't be an enemy. 
be a saved one. Be one who's taken up in his grasp. And go live your guts out for Jesus. So Father, today we come to you and we recognize that there's nothing that we can do for ourselves to help save us. In fact, everything that we try is just more sin. It's just ignoring your good news. And so we thank you for what Jesus did. That he did come as the lamb that was slain. And He died in our place. That if we would just call upon His name, ask for forgiveness, we would be saved. And so Lord, I pray that this morning that we would all be confronted with the fact that we need Your forgiveness constantly. If not for Your love and Your grace, that same holiness would destroy us. Oh God, we do not want to be destroyed. We want to live. We want to live eternally. And you've promised that will happen if we call upon the name of the Lord. And so we call upon you now. We pray that that would affect the way we think, that we would continue to know that we're dependent upon you like children. That even as we approach revival, it wouldn't be, we need revival for the other people. We need the revival for me. We need Jesus for me. We pray that you would deal with me. Father, we know that the things that you have described in this book are coming soon. You have told us they're coming soon. And so we pray that we would not wait another day. Help us grow towards you more today. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.